Welcome to episode number seven, forerunners.app with Alice and Lucy. We have a slightly different variation of quickfire questions today. These have been created by one of our favorite Pilates enthusiasts and all-time legends. They will stay anonymous though. I'm going to volunteer Alice to start by reading them because I haven't got my glasses on and Alice's writing is, let's just say, it's not the neatest. It's very bad, to be fair. Number one, apples do at the core. Absolutely. What do you do? It's not okay. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they're actually like poisonous for you. Yeah, but if you don't, if you're not near a bin, like, well, what do you, what do you do with it? So, like, for example, if you're just, I don't know, somewhere without a bin, what do you do with the core if you don't need it? You just hold on to it until you find a bin. Yeah, but what if you don't know when the next time that will be? There's always a bin opportunity at some point. Uh, I don't know. Okay, fine. Unless you live in Japan, there's no bins, no bins in the streets ever. Really? Yep. Searched high, low. They don't exist. Okay, fair enough. That's why you eat the core. All right, so this is a pretty profound question here. Sock, sock, shoe, shoe, or sock, shoe, sock, shoe? Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. I would have to, have to agree with that. Yeah, it just makes more sense. Mm. Although sometimes I feel like when I'm at the pool, I like to be a little bit more efficient in terms of just like getting one leg prepared. So I'll put left sock, left shoe, left leg in the pant. And then Wait, I'll... you put your pants on <laughs> after you put your shoes on. No. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, maybe that's the other way around. Okay, so left leg through the undie hole, left leg through the left leg hole, and then sock, shoe, and then I get the right leg involved. Right leg through the undie hole, right leg through the right leg, right sock, right shoe. Oh my god. So you're just standing on one leg, practicing that single leg stability. And I, for some reason, it feels a little bit more efficient at the pool. At the pool only, though. Okay. Each of their own. All right, here's one. Sports bra, padding or no padding? You go first. Well, to be honest, I actually prefer padding. I'm going to put it out there. I don't like the padding, the fact that it's not sewn in. That is one issue that we actually have. So I agree with you here, but we always have this issue that whenever whenever we put our clothes in the in the washing machine and the dryer, they the padding comes out like upside down, folded over, scrunched up, or sometimes even in that little, um, what do you call that little filter thing in the dryer? Yeah. We often find them in there. We've actually got a full actual chest of drawers just one drawer just dedicated to just random padding and then often you just grab one out and whack it in the sports bra one's like really robust and the other one's like really skinny and streamlined so you're really quite lopsided but you just carry on with your one but no I do think the padding actually feels better in bras but it has to be so easy and and also a bit slim we've had some in the past that were just like you put it on you're just like whoa <laughs> where did I come from just too much too thick yeah we won't name brands but yeah there are some out there uh, is it okay to mix yogurt flavors? Yeah, I yeah, absolutely. As in, like, have several different brands of yogurt. That's the only way to enjoy it, really. Otherwise, it's too boring by itself. Um, so I, I would disagree. I would say I'm straight up one flavor at a time. I've seen you create all sorts of flavor concoctions, but then it all just ends up into a big mishmash of just all different sort of stuff. Oh, no, no, no. I like to keep it separate. And I think this is where you and I have our like differences in the kitchen is that especially when I go grocery shopping and I bring home a whole, you know, I might bring home like three different flavours of yogurts, three different... Oh my God, she opens every single one at the same time. She doesn't finish one. She opens three flavours at once. But they all get eaten. They all get eaten. So I think it's okay. But I know that, um, yeah, recently we got two different varieties of honey. And admittedly, one is a one kilo tub of honey. And yeah, I do think that I probably shouldn't have opened both of them, but I just wanted to see if the flavors were different and they were a little bit. It infuriates me, to be fair. 
All right, here's the last one here. Toilet paper, scrunch or fold? Scrunch. Scrunch. I agree. I'm not the kind of person that's in the toilet for a long period of time, long enough to fold. Fold. No, it just seems like, like some sort of form of origami. Yeah. Wanting to wanting to it. Um, and we do have some extra questions which have been sent in by some listeners, which are actually fantastic. We had so many come through. So we've chosen just a few to go through today. Question number one, what is your best offshore purchase? Oh, it would have to be a um, like a leopard print coat for sure. It sounds really, really bougie. Mm, it is. It's quite nice actually. Uh, is it furry? Furry. I've got heaps of wear out of it. I think unsuspecting winner there. Okay, I'd have to say mine would be a pair of really cool leather cowboy boots. They were purchased a long time ago and I got so much wear out of them all through uni. I had to just like giddy up my way around uni. I think I was the only physio student that was wearing cowboy boots to all of the lectures. It's always the most bougie things that you're just unsuspecting um, that come from these op shops, right? So they're like, who would donate that? Like as if anyone would want to get get rid of it. They were fantastic. Love them. All right, best car snack. Okay, I'm just going to say first of all I am going to say the worst car snack and I'm going to make a point of this because on several occasions Lissy has opened up packets of seaweed in my car and then the car actually smells like rank seaweed for the rest of the drive and I said to her specifically Liz all right you can eat whatever you want in my car except seaweed and then she tries to do it really quietly and carefully and then it smells like seaweed I know exactly what you're doing so that is the worst car snack that can't go on Fair. I do enjoy seaweed. I'm going to also agree with you in terms of like, I don't have a good car snack, but I do have a, like a terrible car snack, which is usually some sort of like wrap or avocado sandwich where the avocado goes everywhere, um, all over the seatbelt. I still have stains. I've been planning to get my car clean for a really long time. So I don't think either of us are really helpful in terms of best car snack, where we can absolutely help with what not to eat in the car. I would say that something streamlined, like for example, I know servers these days are doing, rather than their pies being square, they'll have them in like a streamlined, long rectangle shape. So Still not in hatch. Not, not into it. Too many flakes. Flaky pastry, not a thing. I think it has to be, it has to be yogurt, a squeezy yogurt. Even a muesli bar could flake everywhere. It's true. It definitely does. I'd say some sort of beverage, like smoothie or something like that, and you can whack in the cold. Yeah, yeah. As long as the lid's on tight. Yeah, we have had that a few times. All right. Alice, cross country, yay or nay? So cross country is an absolute yay for me. Like I would do cross country all day, every day if I could. I absolutely love it. It's sort of like gritty, cold, wet, dreary, and that's kind of the way I like to run, just hard yakka. Yeah. You're too fast for that. Yeah, no, I think cross country is pretty fun because it's like a team thing. So usually, like, you're rarely running as an individual. Usually, like, you're running for your club or you're running with the team. So I get it. I think that's, I think it's really fun. Yeah, but if you've got the capacity to do a 1500 meters in like four minutes, Liz, I feel like that's something that. Oh, 100% prefer a track. <laughs> sure. And I guess another listener question is well, I guess there's a bit of interest as, as to uh, our transition from lattes to cappuccinos. So I guess, like, why the switch and how did that go? And I'm going to say personally, I've always had cappuccinos. I like there was no switch for me. It's always been my thing. I've always loved a bit of chocolate on top. Um, but Al, what, how do you feel about it? So going from a latte to a cappuccino has been, it's, it's quite a ride. As someone that very much grew up in Melbourne, um, inner city Melbourne, ordering cappuccinos has always been the daggy thing, the frowned upon thing to do. It's sort of the, the cappuccino order is always just a bit 
you know, you want to get a magic or you want a sure macchiato. You want something bougie, you want something cool. A latte is like moderately fine, but a cappuccino, no. Especially if it's a large cappuccino and then someone bangs like two sugars in it, like a large mugaccino. See, I'm completely oblivious to this. I think growing up in the outer eastern suburbs, it's just like, you just get what you want. There's no judgment. Just do it. <laughs> anyway, we did start on the cappuccino journey. I think it started in Byron Bay early this year. And I have not looked back. And then I've become a bit of a cappuccino snob as well. Well, what do you prefer about a cappuccino than a latte? I prefer it's a little bit stronger in terms of coffee flavour because there's more froth. Also, who doesn't love a little bit of chocolate on the top? I mean, that's a game changer. And some cafes assume that you're a healthy person. Just say, for example, if you order a soy cap and they go, okay, so she's getting a soy cappuccino. That means she doesn't want the chocolate bit. That's outrageous. Of course they want the chocolate bit. Oh, because they they probably think vegan. No, it's devastating. And then you order that person that, you know, sends it back and says, can I get some sprinkles on mine? Oh, my mum does. <laughs> <laughs> my mum has definitely been known to ask for, actually, I think it might be like a flat white with extra, uh, flat white with extra chocolate powder on top. Amazing. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, well, yeah, I guess a flat white is a little bit more creamy. So she wants the cream, but she also wants the chocolate. That confidence. Yep. Full kudos to her. Love it. Um, all right. So here's a question that is pretty, um, I guess, a big part of our lives. Is obviously is Pilates, running, but music. So one of our listeners has asked about our running playlists. You know, how do we collate them? Where do we get our inspo from? And to be honest, I feel like a Spotify is something that we have on repeat pretty much 24-7. And that's something that we have spent a bit of time. We've got some really, really good playlists and the long and the short of it is we might actually just link our Spotify playlists to the show notes after this because there are some banging playlists in there. I'm obviously quite biased. I'm going to say also, just in addition to that, after going to Ability Fest, we discovered Telenova, which is absolutely my favourite band now. And so I think we're going to become groupy with them. Uh, yeah, I think every every sort of artist comes from like a different way, whether it's like a you know, music festival that we've seen um, or whether it's just something that we've heard on the radio or I don't know. Yeah, at the moment, probably I'd say my favourite band at the moment is the AES. Their latest album is absolutely incredible. But we do have playlists for every occasion. So we do have like a getting ready playlist. We've got like a chill playlist for wind down classes. We've got sort of a an upbeat running playlist. The whole list goes on and on and on. So um, yeah, we can we can send them across. You can follow along. I think I've got like twenty eight followers. So join the queue. Get in there and get involved. All right, so one of the major questions we actually got asked and we want to delve a little bit more into for today's podcast is cross-training. Now, Liz has done quite a bit of cross-training over the last six months with her uh, hamstring tendon. I, over the years, have done heaps of cross-training, having had lots of injuries, growing up a gymnast, of course, and then right up, you do delve into injuries. And then how do you deal with them? There's always the train of thought that some people are cross-trainers, some are not. And we've sort of had a little bit of an experience in both of those aspects. So I guess I've embraced the strength aspect of cross-training recently. This is probably the first injury I've had that I actually have sort of done a little bit of cycling, a little bit of elliptical, because I sort of have a feeling that, you know, if you're injured, often as distance runners, our injuries come, um, yes, from biomechanics, sometimes from overuse, but often energy availability. And so, you know, often if you're getting stress fractures, it's because your body can't quite cope with the load or whatever. So I'm sort of under the, I, I always feel that it's best just to rest when you're injured and let your body do its thing, heal. You know, when you get stronger and you're pain-free, then you get back into running. So I've never been a big cross trainer um, up until recently, but I know that you, Al, have always had it as part of your training. 
Yeah, I see I see myself as a big cross trainer and all the tips, tricks I think come from perhaps growing up in the gymnastics mentality whereby when you get injured, which is all the time, I do remember one time I did a front somersault, landed with a straight leg, hyperextended my knee. Ow! Oh my God. Ow! I feel sick just thinking about this. It was so nasty. That took ages to heal. And I remember straight up, obviously there was like the acute phase whereby you rest and you regenerate. And then it was straight onto the bike. So I remember as a tiny little kid in like a velvet leotard with sequins on it, sitting there on the bike in the gymnasium, watching everyone else do that. And that was my rehab. And I would do that every training session and get there put my leotard on, get on the bike. And that was what we did. And that, is that, that ingrained. Yeah, I'm interested in me. For, gymna- for gymnastics, is the idea behind that for leg strength or cardio? A uh, bit of both. To be honest, with gymnastics, it's more strength, always. Yeah. Speed, agility, flexibility. There's not huge amounts of um, cardio in it. But also, I think it was that sort of the discipline sort of mindset that they you keep going yeah. and you get up and you keep going and you you know, you get back on the horse sort of vibes. And I think I've sort of carried that through the rest of my life. And I've had so many injuries. I think I'm just one of those people that just, I've done a lot of stupid things in my time. So a combination of trauma and overuse. I do like that though. And I think that there is, you know, there's definitely some merit to that because, and this is something that a lot of coaches struggle with. And I've been asked this question so many times, you know, like, what do you do with your athletes when they're injured? And of course, I sort of think, well, first and foremost, they need to like rest and like allow their bodies to heal. But then also, especially for like younger kids, they want to still be part of it. So it's about being creative and finding something that they can actually do within the training environment so that they can still be um, amongst it with their mates. And I know for me, like that's what I've struggled with probably most of the, the past few months is, you know, I miss out on the social aspect. If there's something that your athletes can actually do, that they're still sort of participating, even if it's like riding a bike alongside people running or, you know, there's something that they can actually do down the track. And so obviously in your situation, they had you on the bike, you're still there in the training environment. I do think though, that's it's slightly different for me though. In fact, the social aspect of it was never really an issue. It was just about me just loving to move. So to be perfectly honest, I prefer to do all of my cross training solo. Like the thought of me doing like big squad swims or getting out on bikes in like a big peloton or doing like group strength sessions. I'm like, nah, it's not for me. Let me just do my own thing. I think that's what I love about running. Yeah, it's just that sort of freedom to move and like get into that flow state without actually um, having to sort of communicate. I think I spend a lot of my time being social, so that's like my downtime. But So what would you say your favourite form of cross-training is? Absolute number one would have to be swimming. I just love being in the water. And I think pretty much with every injury, unless, of course, it's an upper limb, um, which I have done quite a few times, swimming is something that's really, really forgiving. Mm. Um, and, of course, you know, swimming isn't for everyone. It has, you know, really polarises people. Some people don't like to go underwater. Some people hate getting cold, etc. I just love swimming. And to be honest... I'm not a good swimmer by any means and I swim all the time and I absolutely love it and it's something I find quite efficient. You can go in there, swim for half an hour and really sort of get the body moving. There's a bit of core in there, there's upper body, lower body, there's cardio, a bit of strength. It's not going to impact too much on things like energy availability and healing. I do find when people try and do heaps and heaps of impact-based cross-training, you can run into a bit of trouble in that you sort of delay the healing because you're still inflaming the area that needs to heal. Um, the thing that I really like about swimming as well is that it sort of like um, mobilizes your joints as well. So like you always leave feeling like, uh, you know, you've had a massage or something because it's basically just like your your body sort of like moving freely without the impact. Exactly. Oh, Liz went to a swim session with me the other day and we introduced Liz to flippers. And when I'm saying flippers, I'm talking scuba steve flippers. Like they're the, like the really long ones and she proceeds to put them on 
on the outside of the pool. So I had to do like that little walk into the pool, step in. <laughs> and then she took off like an absolute jet. She did a one kilometer swim in like 13 minutes. She swam so fast. I've never seen anything like it. And I think that got you hooked. Yeah, it was really, it was really hard. And once you start, you kind of, it gives you that momentum. So it was kind of propelling me forward and my like arms just had to follow. <laughs> um, so I like, I actually think it's really good. I was really opposed to it for a really long time. I think it's taken you about a few months to convince me to put them on. But I think it was great. Like, so for me, my arms and legs got less fatigued and it was more like aerobic for me. So I really liked it. And then when I took them off and did a couple of 50s, I think it actually sort of helped crack my techniques. My arms and legs were probably a little bit more streamlined because they kind of have to be when you're, you know, you can't be kicking to the side if you've got flippers on because the blades of the fins are so wide. So I think it's actually quite helpful for technique too. Yeah, it was really stressful because I was sitting in front of you and I was getting those fingers like <laughs> tapping on your feet, like hurry up. I'm like, mate, I don't have flippers on. Like, why are you so, so slow? Go past me. Oh my God. <laughs> it was really stressful. So I feel like next time we swim, I'm going to wear flippers as well and it's on. It's on. Get in the medium lane and just dominate. <laughs> medium? I feel like I was too fast for the fast. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah, but the other thing about cross training is, and that's something I've also learned, is you can do too much cross training. And then I do think you really prolong that period of healing. And, you know, just say, for example, you could have four weeks off with a specific injury and then, you know, get back into running. If you cross train, it actually take you five or six weeks. You can actually prolong it yeah. because you are not resting healing as much as you would and you're still getting your heart rate out your body's still releasing the cortisol exactly and then maybe a little bit of impact load depending on what sort of cross training you're doing so you know if you've got the temperament to actually cease running stop slow down and focus on really really light strength work I think that's a really good option but if you're someone that can't sit still like myself and needs to do something I think swimming is a really good option and depending on where it is like stationary bike I I can't be trusted on a moving bike because I've been hit by a car but that's another story so stationary bike with some netflix is also a good one yeah yeah absolutely um and then what about strength work what do you think about all that when you're injured yeah so strength work to me i obviously am slightly biased pilates has always been something for me because it is low impact you don't need equipment and also you can adapt it so actually i've got the uh, uh, no foot pilates which means that all the runners that come with post-surgical or acute injuries to their feet, they can actually get a really good workout, upper body, core, hamstrings, glutes, but there is no weight bearing uh, through their feet at all. So I had one person that had a full Achilles rupture and they could still do the entire session. And so I think actually that strength is going to stand you in really good stead when you do get back to running because you don't want to just sort of let yourself, you know, weaken in those crucial areas such as the hips and the core. But you know, heavy lifting when you're sort of injured is not something I would endorse, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. You want to focus on the intrinsic muscles and getting super, super strong um, in the stabilizers, right? Exactly. And especially for distance runners, I feel like that's the most crucial area that they want to maintain as opposed to any sort of massive global tissue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what's your, have you got any nightmare cross-training stories at all? Um, not from myself. I I think I go to the gym in South Yarra and I see all kind of types there because of my rehab on my hamstring. Uh, I spend quite a lot of time there and I see lots of people doing all sorts of things, which is quite good. Haven't had any significantly bad stories in of my own, to be honest. I probably haven't done enough, but I know that you have. Um, yeah, I've had quite a few, but one that really stands out in my mind was actually in 2020 when it was in the middle of lockdown, and I'd had foot surgery in my plantar. So I was like, that's cool. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do ocean swimming because all the pools are closed. Everything was closed. It was locked down. 
And so I started ocean swimming and of course it got to sort of June, July, August. The water got down to like nine degrees. It was proper freezing. And I was one of those kooks that was in wetsuit, gloves, booties, had like a hood as well. Had goggles. So really that just shows how cold it is. It was so cold because I actually don't mind cold water. Anyway, it was keeping me safe because I was getting out of the ocean. I was swimming. Um, sometimes the conditions are pretty questionable, but, you know, that was what I was doing at the time. But then I developed chillblains in my feet. Which yeah, is- can you just sort of further explain what chillblains are? Yeah. So basically what happens is a circulation condition whereby if you get yourself really, really cold, almost to the point of freezing, and you know, you've got that with the white knuckles, you've got white toes, maybe even a little bit blue. And then what happens is you try and heat them up very quickly. You know, you get in a hot shower, you put your heat on them, which is exactly what you want to do because you're freezing. Mm. You get in the car, which is what I was doing, and then blasting full heat onto my hands and my feet just so I could drive because you couldn't actually use um, my dexterous, the dexterity in my hands was lost basically. And so I was doing that and developed chillblains. What they are is they're just incredibly itchy. So they start out like calluses, then they can turn into blisters. And if you don't look after them, they can rupture and you can end up with really bad tissue trauma basically open wounds Mm. and probably doesn't surprise you that I got myself to that point Mm -hmm. and classic doesn't know when to stop (laughs) I was like it's fine I'm just really good I've got a um a few cousins and nurses that were sending me some like you know wound management tips I was sending them photos of my feet it was a really good time anyway it got to the point where I was like oh actually these are really nasty like I think I need to send them to my dad so he's always my last point of call because he's always super busy and I don't want to bother him but and when you say that they look really nasty they all rank like I saw photos and like the kind of thing that you see like when you type up something gross on google it was like how is that actually your foot I was it was actually horrific yeah I was literally doing um, I had open wounds it was not okay and so I sent them to dad and dad was um dad being a sports physician has two modes he's got that really lay back, no worries, let's sort this out. Or he goes into what I call um, very calm panic mode. And what that means is you get the very calm and efficient work peaked. And then I knew that that was probably not good. And what had happened was dad called me the morning after I sent in the photo. He said, I booked you an appointment, Alice. And I was like, oh, thanks. Like, what, what am I going to do with my feet? And he's like, yeah, I think um, I've actually booked you an orthopedic appointment. Um, that toe needs to be amputated. I We're going to see if... And I lost it. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you booked a surgical appointment for me to get my toe chopped off without even consulting me. I was absolutely mortified and I panicked. And I was like, no, 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 dad, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'm going to keep my toe. I'm just going to not swim anymore. I'm just going to wrap it up. Everything's going to be fine. And he was like, no, no, because if that is really severely infected or what. Anyway, so I went to see him. We saw another specialist and the specialist was like, it's okay, you can keep your toe. Blah, blah, blah. But then it was like that real lesson to me. It was like, yeah, I'm really lost like a little limb. Mm-hmm. So I'm stupid. It anyway, puts it into perspective, it doesn't does. it? We always want to keep going and you want to move, but then there is a point where your body just has to heal itself. <laughs> and probably when you go and see a surgeon to get your toe amputated, <laughs> oh my God. it's probably that point. <laughs> anyway, the rest of my family were completely non phased. They're like, oh, yeah, it's Alice. I do remember another situation. I decided I was going to be a professional surfer. And that was probably for about six months when I was younger. And then I developed, I was doing it every day, but like multiple times a day during this, like summer. And I developed really sore ribs. When you're lying on the board, you get really sore ribs. So then I was like, it's cool. I can't stop surfing because I'm going to be a professional surfer. I need to take this sport very seriously. I need to continue with my twice a day surfing. But I was so sorry. This is the gymnast coming out. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the gymnast on the bike running away in the corner when she's injured. 
And then, so what I did, I was like, I've got a really great idea. I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to pad my ribs up. So I'm going to get some sport tape. I'm going to get something spongy and I'm going to wear like two like little cushions on my ribs. So then I can lie down and they'll be padded. Brilliant. Genius. Like who hasn't thought of this? But I couldn't find anything soft. So what I did, and I didn't know why this would be a good idea. I got into so much trouble for this. I found an old mattress that was still on the bed being used by people sleeping. And I chopped out chunks of the mattress. And then I got my sister, I had my hands up in the air, I held the things in place and she like gaffer taped these sponges around my ribs. So then I'd get out, put my wetsuit over the top and had these two like real spongy little like pillows on my chest and I could surf. Anyway, I thought it was genius. I would dry them out with my wetsuit and then I got an absolute talking to because mum was like, oh my God, I was making the bed. There are chunks out of the mattress. Why would you do that? And I, the, um, the point then was like, okay, that was obviously a really bad idea, but I kind of got a bit defensive because I was like, well, what else was I supposed to do? How am I going to be? I think you're training. I think you're training, but I'm going to be a professional. Anyway, so we had a bit of a, um, a back and forth there. I wasn't allowed to go surfing for a little bit. I had to get rid of the spongy things and just wait for my ribs to heal. But Fair enough. I'm I'm all with your mum here. Like, I'm, I'm on board with that. It's an injury. I could have been next Sully for two, but just let it heal and then get back into it. Anyway. Um, but it's good. I admire your perseverance um, and your will to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely need it. But there is actually a really good question that came from a listener, which was along the lines of, can you do too much Pilates? How many Pilates sessions is too much in a week? And I think having said all of that, me going to excess with a lot of things, and I can say this pretty confidently, you actually really can't overdo Pilates at all. Uh, we've actually got one of our best Pilates legends who's actually up to class 700 in a row having not had a day off and not to say that everyone needs to do that but he's going super strong and no worries and just really impressive and sometimes he'll do doubles as well so I mean the whole reason it is such a great activity is it's very low impact it's by no means easy so you feel like you've done a workout but you really don't get the delayed onset muscle soreness that you do with other forms of exercise so you can recover very quickly and there's always different moves that you can do. And would you say that it's almost like the more you do, the better because you get that consistency and that building upon building? Absolutely. Layer. Absolutely. To be, to be honest, doing it once a week is not enough, in my opinion. You really do need to floss those neuromuscular pathways that um, that are so important for those deep intrinsic muscles. So, for example, just doing one a week, it's like you almost forget by the time it gets to that, you know, that next seven days. So ideally, you know, two to three to four, but you by all means can do seven. Yeah. I think if you're doing like multiple classes a day, then you probably want to think about getting another hobby. <laughs> another hobby. To be <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably related directly to me. So I'm really locked down. I think I was doing like eight classes a day at one point in time. And I just didn't even get off my mat. Just staying quite a lot. <laughs> so bad. So back on the cross training list, you have been doing heaps of cross training recently for your hamstring tendon. But the exciting news is you have started some jogging, which is awesome. So the transition to cross training, the transition from cross training to running. Now, this is one last trap that I want to just delve into is because what people often do, and I see this you know, back in the days when I was in the clinic, is that rather than people chopping up their cross training and substituting their running, what they do is they keep everything. So I was like, okay, well, I'm used to riding my bike three times a week and swimming three times a week. Now I'm going to add my running on top of that. But in fact, they run into a little bit of a cycle and spiral of overuse injuries doing that because they don't take anything out. Yeah, and I think this is a really tough thing, especially that I, like I see all the time, particularly as a coach, is that runners often get injured 
and then they start on this cross training and then they see themselves as a cross trainer. And like you say, they don't take it out when they get back into their running because it does become habitual and just becomes part of their daily routine. But by doing that, they're not thinking about the energy that they're actually expending. And then they often do end up on like a, a cross training injury cycle because they're not just allowing their bodies to run. You know, if you want to be like a really successful runner, you want to run as much as you possibly can and then recover as quickly as you possibly can. So if you're going to be doing extra like cross-training sessions of like cycling, elliptical, you're not giving your body the best opportunity to absorb and recover from the, the running that you've been doing. So often that does result in, you know, further injuries or different in injuries of another area. And if you are doing your running when you have had an injury, you want to be really fresh. You want your form to be really, really pristine. And, you know, if you've just gotten off from an hour bike ride and then you're just going to tack your, you know, your walk jog onto the end of that, you're not going to be running your best. So your form is not going to be nice at that point. And then you do run the risk of overdoing it and developing other injuries as well. So I do think as the walk jogging does come in, as much as it is hard to do, you've got to start to cut the training out that you're doing on top of that. And I would say if you haven't got someone that's going to be advising you through it, it's a good way to sort of actually keep a training diary and map out what you're doing and whether you think about that in terms of like minutes of exercise. So, you know, if you're used to doing like 30 minutes of cross training a day and you start doing, you know, 10 minutes of walk jogging, then just like pull back the cross training to 20 minutes now that you've got 10 minutes of running in. So just be mindful of like the volume of overall exercise and not just thinking about, oh, well, I'm only running for 10 minutes. It's nothing. Um, thinking about everything in a holistic way. And there was um, a question about what sort of tips would you personally recommend when cross training? And to be honest, I think that cross training should be fun. So I'm always one to suggest, you know, getting a really good, of course, music playlist, uh, getting some good TV series. You know, if you're on a stationary bike or a cross trainer, TV shows are always a way to go. I also find if you're immersed in them, it goes faster, but also you don't run the risk of pushing yourself too hard. So I know that in the past, if I'm not distracted, then I'll just end up doing lots of like really hard intervals just to sort of keep it interesting. But if you've got Netflix there and you happen to sort of watch a show, then I feel like it's a really nice way to get some sort of easy exercise in that's not going to overdo it, but also be somewhat entertaining as well. I, I get that, but like, and I kind of agree, but then I also kind of disagree because I think that if you're sitting on a bike and you're watching Netflix, then you can easily just like sit there for a really long time. And then you might be cycling for like an hour or 75 minutes or something, and it just goes by without you even realizing. So I think that's good. Like if it's just like kind of cruisy, but also sometimes having like a clear plan of like, all right, I'm going to do a 20 minute session. And you've got your intervals, you get on the bike, you get off and then it's just done. And so then, you know, the intervals help you focus. Cause if you're going for like, you know, 90 seconds hard at a time, you've got that. But I think like, regardless of what you're doing in the cross training, it's really important that you have a clear plan of what you're doing. You're going to sit on the bike for an hour and just cruise and watch some Netflix. And then at an hour you stop rather than getting sort of sucked into just staying longer and longer. Or you just go on for like a short, sharp kind of workout. But I think like regardless of what you do, there's no right or wrong way. It's personal preference. Um, but also having a clear plan so that it's, it's part of your training in a positive way. I think that really identifies the fact that you're the professional athlete who's doing like really focused, tuned in sessions where I was, I'm sitting there watching the latest episode of like maps or something completely sort of tuned out just monotonous sort of movement but you know and that's why you are as successful as you are because you treat everything like a purpose. straight in straight out straight short and sharp out yeah there's no faffing around there's no like you know putting some frills on it so I guess it depends what your goals are and how you like to approach it mm -hmm. absolutely and I reckon that's a bit of a tidy up for today's podcast thanks for listening keep the questions coming through because they're really guiding at the direction of these podcasts coming through 
and hopefully see you next week. See you later.